Hello everybody, my name is Anne Teato and welcome to the Psychic Matters podcast, episode number 29. If you are already subscribed to this show, thank you so much, you Psychic Matters fans, you're brilliant. Do make sure you subscribe to this show because today, as in every forthcoming episode, I am here to teach you proven techniques for spiritual and psychic development from the comfort of your own home. I'm also here to investigate the teachings of experts across the globe to bring you their wisdom, their advice and their spiritual wealth. By the time you have finished listening to this week's episode, you will be fully informed of the pioneering work of an incredible spiritualist, a lady by the name of Maria B. Hayden, who is credited with bringing spiritualism to the UK in the 1800s. Through many of her seances in England and America, Maria convinced many of the elite and upper classes, as well as scientists and clergy, that there is life after death. My guest this week has written a fascinating book about the life of this remarkable woman, a book which not only includes the social history of the spiritualist movement, but also includes accounts of more than 30 of Maria's seances, 130 illustrations and handwritten spirit communications from Maria's private sittings. Grab a cup of coffee or a cup of tea, a glass of wine maybe, or a drink of sparkling water. Let the dog out, let the cat in, settle into your most comfortable chair and enjoy every moment of this podcast as we give a warm welcome to my next guest and thank her for generously sharing her incredible knowledge with you and the world. I'm in the Psychic Matters studio today with Sharon de Bartolo Carmack. Sharon is a certified genealogist and writer. She's also a medium and a certificate holder and a diploma holder of the Spiritualists National Union. And Sharon has written an incredible book. It is so in-depth, I cannot tell you. You must go straight out and buy it. It is called In Search of Maria B. Hayden, the American medium who brought spiritualism to the UK. Sharon de Bartolo Carmack, welcome to Psychic Matters. Thank you, Anne. It's such a pleasure to be here. I've been looking forward to this. So tell us, first of all, I've read this book. It's so in-depth. It's so detailed about this wonderful medium, Maria B. Hayden. Perhaps we'll start off with why did you write it? How did you get the idea? Where did it come from? Uh, that's a perfect question. I was taking a course through the Spiritualist National Union, one of their very foundation courses. And as part of the course, you had to write about three spiritualist pioneers, just short little sketches about them and why they interested you. And it gave a list of, I don't know, two dozen pioneers with little biographical sketches of them. And Maria's was the least interesting if I can say it that way. There was no birth year, no death year. All it said was she was the first American medium to bring spiritualism to the UK. And the press was very negative toward her. But she convinced Robert Owen, who was a socialist at the time, uh, a social reformer at the time, and he was her champion. And that's really all it said. So the genealogist in me 
wanted to know more about her. And because I'm American, she's American, it was my natural inclination to start researching her. And when I did, I found more about her than I had found online on any website. And it turned into a book. It turned into a biography of her. I've never met a genealogist before. How do you work? Where does that begin? What does a genealogist really do? Well, as a hobbyist genealogy genealogist, most of us want to trace our own ancestors and find out where we came from, who our ancestors were. I'm a professional genealogist, a certified genealogist, which means I, just like a Uh, becoming a certificate holder of the Spirituals National Union, I had to fulfill certain requirements to become a certified genealogist. So for clients, I trace their ancestors. For people who don't know how to do it or don't want to do it or might get stuck tracing their own ancestors, that's where I come in as a professional. And so when I started researching Maria, I put to use all of my research skills on researching dead people. Uh, people of the past, and finding those records, both online and in repositories, had tremendous help from librarians and archivists in England and places where I couldn't physically get to who scanned documents for me. But it was an incredible journey just to be able to learn about her life and tell her life story. So where did you start when you had that tiny piece of information from the, um, what, what, where was it written, the information that you had? Right, that was in a course from the Spiritualist National Union. That's it. So you had that little paragraph about her. So then where did you go from there? Well, because the paragraph said she was in England from 1852 to 53, I knew that's my starting point. There is in the United States an 1850 census. So I immediately went to the 1850 census and found Maria there. She was living with her soon-to-be husband, William Hayden. Her name was Maria Trenholm, and her family is originally from Yorkshire in England. And so with that, they weren't married yet, but they were living together. It's okay. It happened in the 1850s, just like it does today. Wow, really? Goodness. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So... With that piece of information, I was able to find their marriage record. I was able to find them in later censuses, 1860, 1870, 1880, was able to find a picture of her headstone online, and it just grew from there. I just used all the typical records that every person in the 19th century would generate in their lifetime. Vital records, census records, land records, Military. Well, she wasn't in the military, but military records, I checked for uh, William. And what was interesting about Maria is I was able to document practically, I think, every year of her life because she was advertising herself as a medium and as a healer in the newspapers. I had... I forget how many hundreds of pages of newspaper articles and advertisements about her. So I could document every move she made in her life practically. Wow, that must have been really interesting to go on that journey. Well, and, and as well as the, that kind of information, I was also able to document more than 130 of her seances. Wow. People had written about 
that she had given in journals and newspapers and everything else. So I was able to document, obviously she did more seances than 130 of them, but I was able to document at least 130 or more. That's yeah. amazing. So what, without giving the content of your book away, what are you able to tell us about her? Well, what I'm able to say is she has lived in obscurity for so long. Most people have never even heard of Maria B. Hayden. Spiritualists who have taken the course that I took have heard of her, but most people have never heard of her. And part of the reason they haven't, unlike someone like Emma Hardinge Britton, most people have heard of her and the spiritualist movement have heard of her. Maria was not a trance speaker. She was just a medium doing private sittings. And unlike mediums who were trance speakers or did something really unusual and amazing like Daniel Douglas, whom or home, uh, who did a lot of levitation and levitated out of windows and back into windows, you know, the average everyday medium, just like today, nobody knows anything about them. And what was so much fun about researching Maria, which some writers and researchers may not think it was fun. She left no diaries. She left no letters. She left no memoirs. She left nothing to tell me about her life. But her husband, William, did write a memoir of that time period while they were in England. So I had great detail with that. And I was able to track down all the sources he talked about to confirm the seance details. So I did have that much, but I didn't have much about her life before England or after England. And that's what I had to reconstruct. What's also fascinating about Maria, she started as a spirit medium, and I'd be happy to explain how she did mediumship then uh, in just a moment. She then became a healing medium or a clairvoyant physician, if you will. And then in her 40s, in the uh, mid-1860s, she went to medical school and became a medical doctor. And she was so good at it. She gained the respect of her colleagues because she was also, without making a big deal about it, using her psychic abilities and her connection with the spirit world. And so she became very, uh, had a wonderful reputation among her medical colleagues. Wow, that's amazing. So I wanted to describe her method of mediumship, if I may, because it's so different from today. Today, as mental mediums, we get the information subjectively in our minds. We're the only ones that hear it or perceive it, and then we give the information. In Maria's day, she used physical mediumship, which is wrapping. We're all familiar with the Fox sisters and how spiritualism started in 1848 with the wrapping on the wall and they communicated with this intelligence. The method of mediumship that Maria used or and some American mediums were using at the time, and this is why it was so significant when she went to England because nobody had heard of this method, was an alphabet method. She had printed on a piece of cardboard something that looks exactly like a Ouija board today. It had two rows of the letters of the alphabet and then a row of numbers, one through nine and a zero. And so how she would do her seances, private sittings were called seances. She'd have up to six people uh, around the seance table at a time or just one person is 
the sitter would point to the letter of the alphabet. If there was no rap, they moved on to the next letter. If there was a rap, okay, write down a B, and then they'd start over again. A, no rap, no rap for B, no rap for C. And they'd go through the alphabet to get the letters to form words and form sentences. Her seances took two, three hours sometimes. I was going to say, they must have taken quite some time. It's quite laborious. (laughs) Very laborious. And there were a lot of people who tested her. And so they would, because they thought, oh, well, she's seeing the letters, what we're pointing to, and she would turn her back to them, or they would shield the alphabet so she couldn't see it. They accused her of making the raps, but there was nobody in the room who would, there was no way she could have done that. They checked under the table. She wasn't knocking her foot against the table. There was accusations that she cracked her toes. Well, nobody can crack their toes that many times for two hours. It's just not physically possible. They thought she was a ventriloquist. They thought she had somebody else making the raps. And oftentimes she was there by herself among people she didn't even know. And they would all examine the table and they would all watch her feet. Sometimes she would be sitting there reading a book while this was going on. It's amazing. What sort of questions would they have asked her? Just like today, they would ask things like, who is, who's the spirit? And then they would wrap out the names using the alphabet, their cause of death, when they died. Typically, that was enough information to for a positive identification when you've got the name of a person and when they died or when they were born or whatever. And then most of the communication was the message, what the spirit person wanted to say to their loved ones. So she had 130 documented seances. Yes. So um, what, what sort of things have you read that happened in those seances? Does anything stand out from those seances in your mind? Oh, definitely. The very first seance, professional seance she gave when she was in England was for Sir Edward Bulwer-Lytton, who lived and occupied Nebworth House. Sir Edward was very much interested in the occult and mediums. And so when she came to town, somebody had told him that she was in town. And so he invited her and her husband to Nebworth House to conduct a seance. And over the course of the year that she was there, she would also do seances for him in his London home, or he would go to her London home for seances. And they tested the spirits just like we do. And so he said, here's a a decanter of wine. If there are spirits here, make the wine move, but not the decanter. And so then the wine would start moving. Another time he challenged the spirits and said something negative about them. Both Maria and he were nowhere near the table. They were standing up away from the table and he said something negative about the spirits and the table lunged at him and practically pinned him against the wall. And there were witnesses to this. This wasn't just you know, him making it up or exaggerating. There were, there were other people in the room when this happened. Wow. So um, she was able to create some physical phenomena that was just amazing. That is amazing. So for her, um, how did it start? How did that physical phenomena first begin for her? She and her husband, William, attended a seance in the 1850s in Boston. And not long after that, her husband started hearing raps in his office. 
He was a journalist and a botanic physician, and he started hearing raps in his office. So he and Maria held seances. Well, at the time, it didn't occur to them to ask who the medium was. They just held seances and got information. But after about the fourth or fifth seance, they decided to ask who's the medium. And so they would call out each person's name one at a time. And if there were no raps, then that wasn't the medium. If there were raps, that was the medium. And initially, the spirits chose William as the medium. But he didn't want to give up his career as a journalist and a botanic physician. So the spirits indicated, okay, then your wife, Maria, is going to be the medium. And that's where it started. So before that, did she have anything happen to her in her life? Was she just trolling along as an ordinary person and then the raps began or...? Mostly, mostly she was. She does indicate in an interview she gave for a magazine after she became a medical doctor, she does indicate that as a child, she had abilities to sense when people were sick and she was called to people's sick rooms to give healing. She didn't know what she was doing. She didn't know anything about it at the time. And nobody apparently did. I haven't been able to find anybody in the family who also had these abilities. But she said it made her feel very uncomfortable to be around people who were sick because she was empathic and she could feel this. So that's really the start of her own uh, abilities, so to speak, but not with spirit communication just yet. Wow. So she recognized the healer within herself at a young age. That's very interesting. Go back again. You were saying that these raps with her husband. So where were they? Tell me that story again. Sure. No problem. Initially, they attended a seance in Boston in 1850. Yeah. And William. Held by somebody else. By somebody else. Yeah. Okay. That's in the book. I'm not obviously. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Don't tell us too much. It's not a tell-all interview. It's a tell-all. No. <laughs> so when William got home, he started hearing raps in his house, in his study. Oh, I see. So after that seance, those raps followed him home in a way. They followed him home in a way. And then they, William and Maria, started holding seances without so th- knowing who the medium was. Yes, I see. So were they not frightened at that point that phenomena was happening? Apparently not. They just accepted it. You know, they had heard about the Fox sisters and the raps and the start of spiritualism. This is 1850. So it's two years later. Yeah. And the Fox sisters had been demonstrating on the stage. I don't know that William and Maria saw the Fox sisters, but they would have, William was a journalist. He would have read about it or heard about it. Yes. So there was nothing to fear about it because people understood these weren't demons. These weren't evil spirits. They were people like you and me who just wanted to say, hey, I'm okay and I'm still alive. Gosh, that's incredible. So there was the wrappings and there was the spelling out within the seance of the messages that were coming through from spirit. Were there other ways that spirit communicated within those seances as well? No, no, that was the primary way that she used the seance. There might have been other physical phenomena that happened. Like in one seance, somebody asked that the spirit world give each of them an electrical shock, and they did. Uh, There was another seance. The seance was completely over with, and they were having tea and just chatting. They were nowhere near the table, nowhere near anything. And one of the 
uh, host children came in and said, can the spirits make wraps happen all at once? And it's described as knitting needles falling on a marble floor. And the wraps were different. Every communicator had a different wrap sound. Goodness. Yeah, it's really quite fascinating. That would have been wonderful to hear, wouldn't it? Yeah. Syncopation of that. Let's have a look at her healing capacity then. Because she was saying as a child, she had this, she recognized the healer within. And then you did say that she went on to be a, you had a special word for it, clerosympathist or clairvoyant physician. Mm -hmm. Very good, a clerosympathist. That was a term she coined. Just like we think of clairvoyance seeing in the mind's eye, clairaudience seeing in the hearing in the mind's ear. She coined the term clairsympathy, her mind being in sympathy with the patient's body. And what she would do as a healing medium or a clairvoyant physician, or when she came up with the term clairosympathist, is she would hold the recipient's hand. And basically, she did psychometry, what we would call psychometry today, on the patient. And she was able to diagnose what the problem is, and where the problem was in the body, then she received from the spirit world the cure or the remedy. And what sort of remedies would they be? Well, that's what I don't know exactly. At one point, she advertises, she and her husband advertise the cure, the spirit remedy, which sounds very much like a patent medicine. We don't, I've been able, not been able to find what was in it, But given her husband was a botanic physician, it's obviously botanicals and herbs and that kind of thing. He later goes on to become a chemist and to have a line of patent medicines. Very closely after Miss Maria received from the spirit world the cure, the remedy. And so I suspect that he used some of those things that the spirit world gave in his patent medicines. Um, But typically, that's what they used was patent medicines. How many people would she have treated? And would people have come to see her as you would go to see a doctor or? Absolutely. In fact, doctors would recommend her. She was that good that doctors who were at a point where they couldn't figure out how to help their patients would send them to Maria. I can't say how many patients she had. The family shared with me a brochure that survived in the family uh, where it had all these testimonials. And people would publish testimonials in the newspaper about her healing abilities. And they would all say how spot on she was, how accurate she was. So she really developed quite a practice as a healing medium as well. Wow. And you talk about her family. So she still has living uh, descendants? Yes. In fact, that's how I found her photograph. I searched high and low for a photograph of Maria. One website has a picture of Queen Victoria. (laughs) And it's about Maria. (laughs) It's like, what? (laughs) I searched high and low, contacted all sorts of archives and and, uh, libraries on this side of the ocean, on that side of the ocean, every place I could think of to track down a photograph. I detailed my search in the book. That is detailed because that's a parallel story to her story. And that's why the book is called In Search of Maria B. Hayden, because I started in 2016 and could not find a photograph anywhere. 
So I figured the only hope I had was as a genealogist, I trace ancestors back, but I can also trace descendants forward. So I figured that was going to be my only hope of finding a photograph. And so I brought forward all of her living descendants, contacted as many as I could, and thankfully, someone had a photograph of her. It's the only known existing photograph, and that's on the cover of the book, and it's also inside the book. Oh, my goodness. So there was a photograph, which is incredible. And were they delighted that you were able to uncover so much about their family member? Well, I don't know if they were delighted, but <laughs> I hope they were. I'm sure they were. <laughs> I did all this research for free. For <laughs> Let's say they were. <laughs> yes. Those people pay me. <laughs> Gosh, and had they heard of her themselves? Because, you know, sometimes we have relatives we don't know who we're related to. Right. No, they knew of Maria. Uh, they had her prescription pad. They had this brochure and they had the photograph and they were very generous to share them with me. The stories, unfortunately, that were handed down in the family were not completely accurate. I had to say, well, here's what the research shows. Right. Uh, but they were aware of her. They were aware of the fact that she was a medium and involved in spiritualism and was a medical doctor. But that was about it. So I said, you know, I'm writing this book about her. I don't know whether she picked me or I picked her, but we're here. I'm going <laughs> to write this book. And they were very generous with, with what they had. And so I've reproduced the prescription pad, uh, quotes from the brochure. And again, the photograph um, is in there, plus some other interesting photographs. And I don't want to give too much away. No, buy the book and find out, everybody. Um, so her descendants, are they medics themselves? Did they go on to be psychics, anything like that? Nope, nope. They're just normal, everyday people. It, what's interesting is the family that everything was handed down in, one of them lives here in, in Utah, where I live. He didn't live here when I first contacted his wife, who was the keeper of the family archivist, who was the keeper of everything. But he has since moved to Utah. I haven't been able to meet him yet because of the pandemic. <laughs> but he's just like down the street, practically. Wow, that's amazing. So close to you as well. Yes. I read in, um, as I was reading your book, you I picked up on the fact that Charles Dickens would not attend a seance. Correct. Tell Correct. me about that. Because I do, I, I've got a thing about Charles Dickens. I, I love him. I love his writing, obviously. And I found his biography um, or autobiography, whichever one it is, I can never remember. Um, just so fascinating about his lifestyle and things. So tell me why he wouldn't attend a seance. Personally, I think he's afraid of ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> For someone who loves a ghost story and writes ghost stories, he would not attend a seance with Maria. He would not attend a seance with Daniel Douglas whom or whom. Um, he would not attend any seances. And his friends, that was the other interesting thing about researching Maria. I wasn't just focused on her. I was taking tangents off into the papers of Elizabeth Barrett Browning, who was very much interested in spiritualism, into Charles Dickens and his journalists, um, into William Makepeace Thackeray, into other writers whom Maria attracted. And friends of Dickens would say the reason he doesn't want to go attend a seance is because he's afraid he'll be convinced that there are ghosts. Isn't that interesting? Yes, yes. I love that story. 
So here he is, you know, writing all these ghost stories. And I don't, you know, and they, his friends, Elizabeth Barrett Browning says, I don't think he believes in ghosts <laughs> or he's afraid he's going to be convinced. How funny. How funny. Oh, thank you for sharing that. I've really enjoyed listening yes. to that. <laughs> so um, you also said that Maria went on to do automatic writing. Can you talk yes. about that aspect? Yes. Now, a lot of people misunderstand what automatic writing is. Automatic writing is when the spirit takes control of your hand and your hand writes. Now, there is also um, controlled writing, which is the medium is in a trance and the spirit takes control of their hand and writes. Maria was not in a trance. She did not believe in any kind of trance mediumship. She wanted to be fully conscious, both in her healing and in her mediumship. She wanted absolutely no accusations, unfair accusations of fraud. And so she was perfectly conscious. And so the spirit would take control of her hand, which is automatic writing and write messages. I have reproduced in the appendix one of her automatic writing. It's a copy though. It's not her actual writing. I've yet been able to find any of her actual automatic writings where she held the pen and wrote. Um, But this is a copy of one. It's handwritten. And so that's in the appendix of the book. And if I might add, this isn't just a biography. It's also a reference book because I've reproduced her medical articles. I've included her family history, her husband's family history, this automatic writing copy, as well as analysis of photographs and that kind of thing. So it's it's not just a biography. It is a, a reference as well. Yeah, I mean, it's so in-depth. It, it, it's fascinating the amount of detail that you've gone into. How long did it take you to write? Well, as I said, I started in 2016. Okay. At the time, I was just writing a thesis to get my diploma from the Spiritualist National Union, and that had to be 12,000 words. Now, that would scare most people, but when I found out how much material there was, I had more than 12,000 words. I had to cut down... <laughs> what I found to 12,000 words for the the thesis. So after the diploma and the thesis, and I received a couple of awards for that as well, I decided this has to be a book. Her story has to be told. And so I had worked on it for four years. Gosh, four years. You must have felt incredible when you typed the end. Well, you probably yes. didn't type the end, but you know, when you came to the end. A lot of people ask me, how did you know when you were done? Yeah. And, I, and, and or a lot of people would say, when is the book going to be done? Because I was constantly posting on Facebook, you know, my progress. And I said, I'm going to be done when Maria tells me I'm done. Right. And it, at one point I said to Maria, you know, I've looked at everything I can think of. If there's something I miss, speak now or forever hold your peace. And that day, I decided, oh, you know, I never looked into the apartment building she lived in in New York City. I wonder if there are floor plans or architectural plans for those apartments so I know what what her living conditions were like. So I emailed a very good friend of mine, Joseph Dita, at the New York Historical Society. He's the archivist there. And I said, do you have anything like that? And he said, no, but there are fire insurance maps that tell about the construction of the building, what it was made from, and details about the exterior of the building. And so that was the same day that I said to Maria, if I've missed something, speak now or forever, hold your peace. And 
there it was. There was something I had missed. And when I was done, I just knew I was done. I just knew there's nothing else I can look at. Or if there is, it's just telling me the same things over and over again. So I'm done. Yeah. But, you know, on behalf of everyone who's going to read it and benefit from it, I just want to say thank you for your incredible work and dedication to to the history of this wonderful lady's life. You know, it's such a wonderful resource that we've all got. And I bet the Spiritualist National Union are just so thankful to you for doing such in-depth research. Well, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. I'm sure they are. <laughs> they just got their copies uh, uh, a few days ago. Mm-hmm. Um, they sent copies over there to the president and, and uh, the vice president and a few other people. So I don't think they've read it yet. You know, it's not yes. it's not a book you sit down one rainy Saturday afternoon and finish. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot because there's so much to take in. But I think that's the beauty of it, isn't it? You can just take your time and just read all these fascinating things and the fact that you've included the photographs and the I know that there's a beautiful photograph in there of the spirit wheel you spoke about earlier on with all the letters spelled out and stuff so people can see what it actually looked like and um yeah it's just an incredible piece of work what is the most fascinating thing that you found out about her Huh. I, you know, I think her whole life is fascinating. And I think that's because nobody knew anything about her. So I was uncovering everything I was uncovering was except for that year in England. And even a lot of things in that year in England, nobody had uncovered. So her whole life is really fascinating to me. I think one of the things that fascinates me most was going to medical school in her 40s. The intelligence she had to have to get into medical school, to gain the respect of her male colleagues. She was only, uh, there were, I forget, a dozen students in that class, give or take, and she was one of three females. And of those three females, she was the only one to go on and really make a name for herself and be on committees and give papers and have papers published. So she was so far ahead of her time both as a medium, as a healer, and as a medical doctor. She's just an incredible, incredible woman. Yeah, she she is incredible because not only that, she had children. Yes, yes. Uh, When she went to medical school in her 40s, she had three children under the age of 12. So, you know, you can only imagine, obviously they must have had help, but you can only imagine she had to study. It wasn't just a matter of attending lectures. She was in the anatomy lab, dissecting bodies without gloves, because back then they didn't know about the germ theory. So bare hands, getting her hands into cadavers and dissecting them and still going home and being a mom. Yeah, what what an incredible, incredible human being she was. Why were the press so negative towards her? Well, initially... Of course, and just like today, there are skeptics, and there were people who just felt like she was a fraud, and they set out to prove that she was a fraud. Right before Maria and William went to England, there was an article in the newspaper written by an, I forget now whether it was a cousin or an in-law of the Fox sisters, claiming they were frauds. And so Maria and William are stepping into England with that in people's minds. So they had to prove themselves. Maria especially had to prove herself. 
And she proved herself to the upper classes, the upper middle classes, to physicians, to uh, writers, novelists, journalists, to lords and ladies and, and duchesses and, and um, what's the opposite of a duchess? Duke. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Dukes and duchesses. So she had to prove herself, and she did. There are a number of negative articles about her in the British press, but for every negative one, you can find at least one, maybe two positive ones of people she convinced that there is life after death. Yeah, I mean, negative press follows everybody, doesn't it? Whether you're, you know, a local hairdresser or a psychic medium. Absolutely. Well, and in fact, what Maria and William found out after they came back in 1853, Maria was pregnant. And so they came back to America. She had her baby and, and uh, was still doing seances here in Boston. And they decided to go back to England in 1855. They couldn't get any ads placed in the British papers. And as a friend told them, negative press is better than no press. And they got no press. And so they were only in England for a month or two and they came back home because they couldn't get any advertisements in the papers to say that she was back. So, And therefore they couldn't get anyone to attend the seances or the meetings. Right. Oh, what a shame that was. What a, what a missed opportunity as well. Exactly. Well, also at that time, Daniel Douglas Hume had come to England and everybody was fascinated with him. Maria was like, hey, we've done this before. We've done this alphabet thing before. This guy is, you know, floating in and out of windows. <laughs> this guy is yeah. doing really weird stuff. And so he was getting all the attention. I don't know much about him. Tell us about him a little bit. Well, that's about how much I know is a little oh, bit. Oh, fine. focused on Maria. I've read his one of his biographies, um, but my focus was him in relation to her. Yes, of course. Big cross paths. And in fact, they were supposed to sail together in 1855 to England, but the Haydens ended up taking another ship a month later and he went first and he got all the attention. Yes, I see. And so what happened to her? So she worked as a medical doctor. She's She's a mother, she's she's doing her seances, she's gone back to America, um, and she's obviously, I'm presuming, carrying on with all of that sort of work at home in America. And then what? how did she die? What happened then? Uh, she died at the age of uh, about 57. There is a discrepancy on her birth year on her headstone, which I explain in the book and why I arrive at a different birth year. But she was about 57 when she passed. And she died from heart disease. You can see in the photograph of her, she's not a, a thin woman. <laughs> and of course, the more wealthy you are, the more you ate. <laughs> so, um, so she did have some weight on her. And I, I assume she had the typical heart disease symptoms, high blood pressure, that kind of thing. So she did pass from heart disease in 1883. And it was young, wasn't it? 57, or maybe not so young back in that time, but it still feels young to me, 57. Yeah, it is. And in fact, while I'm thinking of it, February 11th is her transition date. And coming up on February 11th, I'm going to be starting a free monthly reading and discussion group. For those who are having trouble um, disciplining themselves or, or just want to talk about Maria because she's my passion, 
so February 11th at 6 p.m. UK time, I'll be holding a free discussion group, reading group. And you can go to my Facebook page and see the information on that or email me, sdcarmack at gmail.com. And I'll be happy to give you information. It'll be on Zoom, of course. Okay, so I've just looked in my diary, Sharon, and Thursday, the 11th of February, episode 29, which will be your episode, that is the release date for this episode. Isn't that incredible? Yep, and that's the date she transitioned in 1883 to Spirit and the date I'll be starting my reading and discussion group. It was meant to be. It was. It was. And Sharon, your book, In Search of Maria B. Hayden, where can people buy it? How can they get hold of a copy? They can go on any Amazon marketplace, Amazon US, Amazon UK, Amazon Germany, Netherlands, Australia, wherever your Amazon is, the book is there and you can purchase a copy through there. Thank you so much, Sharon, for coming on to this podcast and just you know, letting us know, I know you can't give us too many details of what's in the book, but you've given us so much to make us very, very intrigued to find out more about the life of Maria Hayden. It's just uh, Maria B. Hayden. Is there a Maria Hayden? There is another Maria B. Hayden who lives today and she's a children's author. (laughs) So if you Google Maria B. Hayden, you'll get both my Maria and her. How funny, how how brilliant. And so, and also you mentioned at the very, very beginning of this interview that you are a certified genealogist, a professional, you know, very, very good and very experienced at what you do. So if somebody wanted to come to you, they wanted to trace a relative, how, how would they find you for that? Um, my website is SharonCarmack.com. My genealogy, professional genealogy website is SharonCarmack.com. You can reach me through there. I also do research tutorials for people who want to do their own research. I get on Zoom with them and show them how to work Ancestry.com and FamilySearch.org, show them how to do that um, if they want to do their own research, which that's the fun part. You know, a lot of people would rather do their own research than hire me to do it for them. But anyway, SharonCarmack.com for that. And I have a website, MariaBHayden.net that has more information about Maria on it. Gosh, that's great. I mean, fancy coming to you and you being able to help us how to, to, to uh, trace our relatives. That would be amazing. What a great, a, a great coaching service that is for people. You know, it's my passion. Personally, I didn't have any experiences growing up with spirit. I was about as psychic as a brick. I had no <laughs> experience whatsoever. I chose to become a medium at the age of 57. And I'm 64 now. So I developed my mediumship as an older adult. But I've always worked with the dead as a genealogist. I've been a genealogist since my early 20s. And even though I didn't recognize how they were communicating back to me, I was always talking to them and communicating with them just not realizing it was a two-way conversation. Yeah, interesting. So so what was the tipping point for you at 57 where you think, I'm really going to go and study this now, this mediumship? Well, this sounds really stupid, but it's what happened. I was flipping through channels one night, saw the Long Island medium, and I thought, hmm, I wonder if anyone can become a medium. Yeah, anyone can. All right. 
Right. Amazing. But you've done really well with your mediumship. You've studied to such a high degree. I mean, it must, you know, we, we must acknowledge your uh, standing here that you are not only a professional medium, but you're a certificate holder um, and a diploma holder of the Spiritualist National Union. And that is not, that is an incredible undertaking. There's a lot of work and research and exams yes. uh, put in there. Yes, there was. But as I've told my husband, if my whole journey to become a medium was to tell Maria's story with empathy, it was worth it. Because, yeah, I'm biased. I'm a biased biographer. I try to be objective, but I'm also a biased biographer. But I needed to tell her story with empathy and to explain, okay, this seance went bad, and this is why. She probably didn't know why certain seances went bad, but I can tell based on the accounts and what was going on in her life, why she had a bad seance. Just like any medium, sometimes we have bad readings or we have bad demonstrations that don't go as well as we think. And But we can look back and say, you know, I had a cold or my energy just wasn't where it should be. We understand what affects mediums. She didn't. She yes. didn't even know how it worked. So as a medium myself, I was able to add that level to her story to explain this is probably why that seance went so wrong. Yeah, interesting. And do you offer readings to people yourself as a medium? Are you working in that way? Not at the present moment. I'm not. I've, I've yeah. got too much on my plate right now. I do demonstrations yeah. on the Spiritualist National Union International page. Mm -hmm. Uh, on Fridays, they have presentations of mediumship, and I'm not on every Friday, but I do demonstrations there. They're not open to the public, but they're open to all SNUI members, which is very inexpensive to join. I forget, it's like 25 pounds for the year, and you can attend anything. Well, not anything. Some of the classes are closed, but I, I teach some circles on Mondays and Tuesdays. I hold circles on SNUI. I'm the U.S. representative, and there are just so many things available that I would encourage people to look at the SNUI website. Just Google Spiritual National Union International, and they'll find it. They're a fantastic organization, and like you say, for a very nominal sum per year, you have got so much at your fingertips and so much tuition available to you, and it's for everybody in the world. That's the beauty of it. Yes, you don't have to be a spiritualist to join. Sharon DeBartolo Carmack, thank you so much. Really, from my heart, thank you for coming on to the podcast and talking to us about your fantastic book, In Search of Maria B. Hayden. Thank you, Anne, for letting me talk about what I'm so passionate about. I really appreciate it. Well, I really hope you enjoyed that episode. And thanks once again to Sharon DeBartolo Carmack for coming on the show and generously sharing her knowledge on the life of Maria B. Hayden. Please do go to Amazon, buy a copy of her book, and don't forget to leave her an honest review as well, because those really do help new authors. And that would be a wonderful way for you to thank her for creating such a wonderful resource for us all. If you'd like to find out more, 
more about some of the things Sharon mentioned in this podcast, please head over to the show notes for this episode. They're on my website at anteato.com, A-N-N-T-H-E-A-T-O.com, and you will find a complete transcript of this episode, plus all the resources and links. A very big thank you to all of you Psychic Matters listeners. As ever, I really appreciate you and thank you so much for listening. And please make sure to hit the subscribe button so that you don't miss out on any of my forthcoming episodes. If you know of anyone who you think might be interested in the subject matter of this podcast, please do share this with them. And if you are enjoying things so far, I would really appreciate you leaving me a written review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher if you have an Android phone. Many thanks to those listeners who have already done that. I'm so appreciative. But if you haven't as yet and you're finding this podcast helpful, please do take the time to leave me a a written review. I would be so very grateful. Just before I go, I have a couple of great training courses coming up, one on the theatre of mediumship, looking at how we connect with people in the spirit world and how to access their backstory. And I have another training course using the tarot wheel, which will help you find out how you can predict your year ahead. I'm also leading a group past life regression session online where I invite you to allow my voice to take each of you on a beautiful journey across space and time to the beauty of the spirit realms and the mystery of your past life experiences. If any of those sound like just what you need right now, do head over to my website anteato.com, A-N-N-T-H-E-A-T-O.com, and you will find details under online courses and events. For now, I wish all of you a fantastic couple of weeks. I really hope that everything goes incredibly well for you all this week. And until next time, my name is Anteato, and thank you for listening to Psychic Matters. <laughs>